You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Mike Chappell is here. Joe Hopkins is here. I'm Dave Griffiths. And uh, we are grateful that Mike made it back from South Beach, of course, in one piece and unencumbered by sunburn, unlike our very own Chris Hagan, who, um, who does not take kindly to the sun. I thought he was going to work. Well, he definitely got some sun while he was down there. So I, I, I guarantee he worked. I, I know that because you could see him. We had him, his satellite popped up. And I, think he was, I think he worked for like five minutes a day, and then he went to the beach. Yeah, you can tell him, tell, tell him that. He came back with a little glitter on him, too, from the halftime show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought I was talking about by the stage, jumping and popping and all that. So <laughs> Right up Chris Hagen's wheelhouse there. But, no, nope, uh, our Chris Hagen and our Mike Chappell were, of course, down there doing quite a bit of work. And we'll get to um, – a, a large reason for Mike's trip down to Miami a bit later in the show, the induction or the selection of Edron James into the Hall of Fame. That's coming a bit later. We discussed that at length last week. But first, a little bit of news of the week for the Horseshoe that we have to get into first. The Colts have made a couple of coaching additions, and it looks like Frank Reich's staff is rounded out now as the um, offseason really gets underway with the Super Bowl now in the past. Um Brian Baker named the defensive line coach. He replaces Matt Fair, who left the Colts uh, for a job with Carolina. Um, And Fair was one of those guys that was hired for Josh McDaniels, again, by Josh McDaniels, or with the consent of Josh McDaniels um, by Chris Ballard for that old staff. So Fair had a couple years, held on by Frank Reich. Now he's gone. You bring in Brian Baker. 19 years of NFL experience for Baker. Most recently, he was with the Redskins in 2014. After that, he left to the college ranks, coached the defensive line at Mississippi State for a few years, and then was the associate head coach and defensive line coach at Alabama just last season. So right behind Nick Saban. This is a guy that uh, Mike certainly has some clout in, in coaching circles to have a position like he had there. Now he's joining the Colts trying to work with that defensive line. And that's an area that they, they talk about that needs to be better. And, again, you know, I've always wondered, you know, it's, it's great to have good coaches, and this does appear to be a good coaching staff. I don't say a better coaching staff, but a good coaching staff. But you got the players. And through what we've seen so far, Tyquan Lewis hasn't progressed. Injuries, yes, is a part of it. A couple guys sort of had – Took a step back, the Margus Hunts and the Daniel Quatris, a couple of injuries. So they they know for this defense to be what it has to be, it starts up front primarily with the interior guys because you're going to have Justin Houston back and you're going to get Kimoko Ture back. So interior has to get better either from within or, as I think we all expect, something in the draft for free agency. Yeah, I, I get the impression that um, with, with the way, like you said, the defensive line really at best – Outside of Justin Houston's addition, which was a, a very valuable addition, but the guys who were in-house did not get significantly better from right. two years ago to last year. So getting a new voice in there, a new face in there, a new guy to coach the defensive line is not not unwelcome. It is probably welcome to have somebody in there, just a new voice, to, to see what, what happens when you bounce new ideas and new techniques or whatever off the players. So that's one. Mike Groh was named receivers coach. As well for the Colts, Gro spent the last two seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, was offensive coordinator there after Frank Reich left 
Uh, he was, I think, he was the receivers' coach with the Eagles before Frank Reich left, or he was right. He he, he was the he was a wide receivers' coach when Frank was offensive coordinator, right. for, for the one for one year. So now here we are in Indianapolis, and Frank Reich's the head coach, and Mike Groh comes over from Philadelphia to be the uh, Colts' receivers' coach. Tyler Boyles named assistant to the head coach, like assistant to the regional manager. He is the Dwight Schrute of the Colts' office. Uh, Parks Frazier, Reich's former assistant, becomes offensive quality control. Kevin Petullo moved from receivers coach to a passing game specialist. So one more cook in the kitchen there. The the former receivers coach is still in the building. They add a receivers coach, Mike Grow. And uh, so that that's what it is. Not not exactly huge upheaval right now, Mike. And really, two years ago, after the Colts uh, made the playoffs and won a playoff game and eventually bowed out in Kansas City, they, they, I mean, there there had been talk then in, in the um, kind of the coaching carousel offseason that some of these Colts coaches are going to be plucked away here and there for either head coaching jobs or other jobs because of the great job that they did with that roster two years ago. All in all, it stayed much more together than I think you would have thought at that time, especially right at the top with, I mean, um, the Matt Eberflus still there, Nick Sirianni still there, and, and of course Frank Reich still there, not going anywhere. But it, but it's a very Special much teams coach. Yes, uh, Bubba Ventro. It is very much still intact up top. And Bubba Ventro, and we talked about it. Like somebody, somebody that there has to be an axe to fall somewhere in the special teams. But uh, he he's still there as well. So, it, and it's you'd like to know the the rationale, not 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 with. Let's not pile on Bubba, but but as far as some of these moves have made, it's obvious they want the passing game to get better. Yes, they've said that. One of the things Frank Reich said at his his post uh, season presser was that this franchise has always been known about throwing the football, and we will throw the football. Uh, and, and again, with with these moves, it, it's to me the performance is gonna the the upgrade is gonna be about more getting healthy. Finding a a, a receiving a receiving tight end, and getting some help for Ty, and solving your quarterback situation. I don't care how great of a coach you are, until you get the quarterback situation settled and move forward, uh, you, you're sort of stuck in place. So we'll see how the coaching. I like to, and I should have I, I should have looked at it before today. Is how many wide receiver coaches has Ty Hilton had now? Uh, Five, six—I don't know. It's not a small number, and it's funny. And I don't mean—I I don't want to minimize coaching changes or coaches, but every time a coach, three or four years ago, they got a brought a guy in, and oh, this guy's—he's a great technician. He's going to get these guys working on this, that, and the other, and Ty's going to love the guy, and he did. But then things kind of go south when when your quarterback is not there. So I, I think they they. Frank is very much a technician. There are certain ways to do things, and he's, you know, as he ha- as he's more ingrained here. We're going to see more of his people, if that's the right word, because that's it's funny. Whenever you hire coaches or bring in players, you try to find where the how does the the roots go back to Frank or whoever the head coach is, and there's always there's generally a connection, and we see a few here. It's. Uh... Uh, to, to use a word, incestuous almost. Correct. It's, the, uh... that, that's a, that's a <laughs> it, it, it's a bad and an appropriate word. Yes. You, you want people around you who you're from, who you have a history with, and you're familiar with, and to some level have the same a philosophy with, and that's only natural. And uh, Brian Baker, who we mentioned right off the top, the new defensive line coach, he has connection with a couple of uh, on on staff with the Colts. Uh, he was with. 
Matt Eberflus in Dallas for a couple years when Baker coached the defensive line and Eberflus coached the linebackers. He also went to college with Frank Reich at Maryland. He graduated one year before Reich did uh, with the Terps. So they should know each other for a long time, going way back to the early 80s there. Um, so that that's uh, what's going on with the Colts coaching staff. Um, a little bit more to get into uh, news of the week. Uh, some reports from uh, the Indy Star citing, quote, NFL sources that... That usually means agent, but go it ahead. It does, yes. That, that's the inside, insider scoop right there. Whenever you hear NFL sources, it's, it's an agent. Colts and Marlon Mack are working toward a contract extension. That's not overly surprising, Mike, because Marlon Mack is entering the final year of his contract. There's a slew of other Colts doing the same thing, but um, that's... I mean, we started talking last year at this time about Colts entering the last year of their contract. And, I mean, Anthony Costanzo is at the top of that list. He is still, for other reasons, we, uh, we wait to be determined what's going to happen with AC. But that's a topic we've broached and discussed and gone well in-depth into. Uh, so no need to really go further into that. But Marlon Mack I did check one. with someone, and they oh. said there's nothing. Nothing there's no, yet? There's nothing yet. All right. And, and when I say yet, something needs to move on that front before free agency. It, it simply yeah. does. You, mm-hmm. you need to know what you're doing. So I would think in the next couple of weeks – We'll get uh, Frank and Chris Bowler at the Combine, and when did you say it started? February 23rd? 23rd, they start, players start reporting. Right, and, and we'll get those guys early in that week, and they simply have to know what they're doing. Do, do you get the sense that the longer it goes, maybe the better it could be for Colts fans? If he knew that he he wanted to get out, might we have heard it by now? I don't know. That's just me spitballing, but it, yeah, it could be completely off base. Yeah, I, I see that. It's kind of like when a jury stays out a long time. Yeah. I, I think so. It means that – but again, what I what I what we talked about last week or the week before is when a player – when he brings up the fact that he's thinking about retirement, mm-hmm. you better take it serious. Yeah. And it's obvious that what you could do is like any – career life-altering decision you step away and you you sort of decompress we've been now what a month and in change from that time so Mm -hmm. so it's 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 hard to imagine that he's getting up in the morning and say well what do i want to do i i have to believe that he's that he's really leaning one way or the other but yeah maybe the fact that he that it's taken this long if this long is the right term it's relative maybe there is more of a chance coming back, but if that's the case, and we won't belabor this, but we can talk about Costanzo later, but even if he comes back, whatever contract you give him, franchise tag, a three-year deal that's maybe really a one- or two-year deal, you have got to start making plans for life after Costanzo. You simply do. You, there has to be someone in the pipeline that you think, this guy may not be ready yet, but in... 2021 or 2022, this guy can be our guy because if you don't, you're you're just kicking the can down 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 the street, and it's going to bite you one of these days. Well, you certainly hope there's plenty of football left in Marlon Mack, and as we mentioned, one year left in his deal, entering the final year of his rookie contract, signed uh, in the fourth round pick, I believe, one of Chris Ballard's better selections there. Um, that was a good draft. It, it's it's not just you point to Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard at the top of the draft a couple years ago. I mean, you got Marlon Mack, who's a starter. You got Anthony Walker, who was a seventh round pick, who's a starter. So um, anyway, Marlon Mack, uh, citing NFL sources, the Indy Star says, and uh, are working toward a contract extension. Now, Marlon is set to make uh, a little bit over two million dollars in 2020, according to uh, various. Uh, websites that cover uh, salary cap, like over the cap or spot rack. Um, so you start asking what kind of a deal 
makes sense for the Colts and Marlon Mack. And you start looking at what successful teams, of course, do with their running backs. And th- there is a, definitely a movement, we'll call it something now, that running backs are expendable is the belief, I think, in many younger um, NFL at least fan circles or younger NFL executive circles that you you don't want to get a guy. But there are exceptions to that, you know, with Todd Gurley's contract, with Ezekiel Elliott's contract. Obviously, some teams really, really pay out to Wazoo for running backs, but it seems like most teams don't. So at with, with all that said, Mike, what do you think the Colts are looking to do here? I, I'd imagine they want Marlon Mack back, but if you expect an Ezekiel Elliott or a Todd Gurley contract, no. that's not going to happen. Joe and I were talk, kicking around two of the players that sort of fit this, although they're, they're a little bit more dated. Lamar Miller, what was it, Joe? Four years, $26 million, $14 million guaranteed. That was in 2016. Uh, I believe the next year was... Freeman with Atlanta, five years, $41 million. That 20, was right after their Super Bowl run. Right, $22 million guaranteed, $21, 22000000 million guaranteed. I just think you're, gonna, you're looking $7 million, $9 million. What, the, the key figure is going to be is what's the guarantee. What, what, what will Marlon get up front or you know, is, is guaranteed? I think the smart thing to do on running backs is you give them a three- or four-year deal, but maybe it's not quite that – you're not that invested past maybe two years if you can do that. But we, we've we, we've seen Marlon Mack's career sort of stepping up every year. He proved he could stay on the field this year. He missed was it two games, three games? I think it was two. Was the fra- with a fractured hand? Yeah. So it wasn't like it was a you know some little which mi- is still a mystery. You keep watching that play and you still have no idea I, how he fractured his hand. I went hand. back and forth and I have no idea. But but the fact that he came back as quickly as he did, uh, most rushing yards since Edron James in, in two thousand and five by a Colt. So I think that we've not seen the best of Marlon Mack. This is still a, I should say, a great offensive line. We'll see how the, if that continues, depending on Costanzo. But he is a key part of this offense. I, 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 I'm sort of with you. I just wonder how, as much as you value a guy, and they value Marlon Mack, you can't overdo it. And I think they'll give him a fair offer, and it's up to him whether he thinks that fair offer is what he thinks he can get on the open market. Now, the fact he's got another year to go on his contract, if I'm him and they give me pretty good upfront money, guaranteed money, as a running back, you simply have to take it. If, if it's in your neighborhood of what you're looking for. Yeah, you, you as a running back, your, your time to make money is short in the NFL. Generally, you get the one, you get the one big contract. Yeah. A few guys will get that second contract. Which he would be twenty. Adrian Peterson, you get that second contract, and and there's not many of those guys. So I think again, if they're fair, and I think they think this this team has shown they're fair, uh, almost to the extreme with their own players, with the Kenny Moore and the Pierre Desir, and on and on and on. So I I I do think they'll be fair. Again, it's, it's a relative term. If a player, the one thing the player has to really really consider is is the grass greener is is the situation better somewhere else do you think you can get more somewhere else if you go somewhere else is is, is it a better fit for you i just think if the colts are fair with marlon mack 
I think this was something to get done uh, in, in early to mid-March. I'll just give you the uh, the average salary per, per year, some of the top running back contracts out there. Of course, it, it, there's more that goes into contracts than that. There's the number of years, like you said, the guaranteed money, because that, that's really what matters it's, the most, really, is the guaranteed. Because if, if it's not sure. guaranteed, they, they can walk away, and you're sitting there with money you'll never see. But just an idea of what about you're probably asking for. Ezekiel Elliott, $15 million a year in his contract. That's not all guaranteed. Again, none of these are. These are just the average numbers per year. Todd Gurley, 14.4. Le'Veon Bell, 13.1. David Johnson, 13. And then there's a drop-off down to Devontae Freeman, 8.25. Saquon Barkley, 7.8. Jarek McKinnon sitting there at $7.5 million per so, year. So you're talking, if you can get to $7, 8000000 you're talking the average. Yes. You're talking top five, top six. I think you're asking somewhere between 8 and $10 million that, per year. That's what I think. Yes. Joe, you have any thoughts on this? I noticed, uh, you know, I'll throw out McKinnon because he's obviously hasn't played for them with the injuries. I also noticed none of those teams have ma- made the playoffs this past year. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, in fact, mm-hmm. none of the playoffs teams from this past year have big contract players. We just watched the Chiefs win the Super Bowl with Williams. I don't want to say a guy who's pedestrian, but certainly not an undrafted guy, a guy who isn't a star player, more complimentary. So I just think the Colts need to be careful here in how they approach this. And I also think it would benefit both sides to get this done this year because if Matt goes on and rushes for 1,500 yards next season, he's get, his price tag is going to shoot way up. Yes. But if he goes on and tears his ACL next season, which both things could certainly happen, then his you know asking price when he hits the open market in 2021, shoots way down. If it is an acceptable offer, and I think with good guaranteed money, this is a deal that can get done, like you said, around March, Mike. But but again, just knowing Chris Ballard and he has numbers in his head that he doesn't want to go past is what he has done the past couple off seasons. You know there's going to be a number that he won't, won't go past, and that's just going to be it, uh, regardless of what Jim Irsay thinks about Marlon Mack thinking he's a 1500 but, but he, back. but he's also driven by rewarding your own remember they made for, for, it, it, it's a nice little tag to have he made Kenny Moore the highest paid nickel corner in the league and he made Pierre Desir a, a, a well-paid corner as well so I, I I do think while he he has sort of obviously not budged on free agent price tags in his budget and his and his his, his grunt level I think he's going to be more flexible to a degree on re-signing his own. And when you're talking about re-signing your own, we're talking Marlon Mack. We're talking the team hopes, Costanzo, T.Y. Hilton, maybe maybe extend him. Maybe you wait another year because of the injuries. And then in, in the pipeline, if and you can argue whether they're going to get him or not, is you got Willie Cooker, you've got Ryan Kelly, and before you know it, you're going to have Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. So it it it, it the, the cap and, and again it's, it's Joe can look it up. It, it's on, on on over the cap, but I keep seeing different figures. And I check with the guy at over the cap. They've got the Colts at like 92 million. I thought under the cap um, cap space. Let me, let me pull up over the cap. And Spotrac has 86. But. Right. Uh, but but then talking to the guy from uh, over the cap, the again the last time I checked was ninety two million. They were second, first or second in the league in cap space. That does not include a projected forty million in in rollover 
of unused cap space in 2019. So they're really at 130, 135 million hmm. in cap space. So the bottom line is we've talked about this: cap space and cash from the owner won't be a problem. Right. It's going to be what Chris Ballard wants to do with that. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be a problem in four or five years, I think, if you get your quarterback. If you decide on a different quarterback, or even if you decide Jacoby Brissett's your quarterback, if, if you've got whatever, if, if, yeah. you, if you find your quarterback, and like you said, with Quentin Nelson coming up, Malik Hooker coming up, here's the immediate pipeline of stuff this offseason. Because remember, like I said, last year we were talking about guys entering the final year of their contract at this time, so we should do the same this year. Marlon Mack, obviously, final year of his contract. Jacoby Brissett, final year of his contract. T.Y. Hilton, you mentioned. Ryan Kelly, you mentioned. All those guys in the last year of their contract. The Colts just extended Zach Paschal and Mo Alley-Cox for one more year. One so more year. We'll see if those two guys, uh, they'll be, I think, restricted free agents after this year anyway. At least, I think, Paschal will be. Um, on the defensive line, you have a slew of guys entering the last year of their contract. Justin Houston, Danico Autry, Marcus Hunt, Grover Stewart, Al-Kadeen Muhammad. And I'm not entirely convinced all those guys are going to be on the no. roster at the, at the start no. of this this season, right. much less next season. Anthony Walker Jr. as well, Quincy Wilson as well. And we have already know that this is going to be a big year for Quincy Wilson, which is exactly what Chris Ballard said. Another thing, I, I'm not sure how much it weighs into the mind. Maybe the agent will think about it a little bit. But looking ahead to 2021, another reason for Marlon Mack to get this deal done, there are some star free agent running backs. So we're talking Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, James Conner, Aaron Jones, um, Chris Carson from the Seahawks. There are a lot of other running backs who are going to demand big money, and it you know might diminish the value for Marlon Mack on the open market. So I don't know how much that would play into negotiations and trying to get a deal done now, but it certainly – a topic to think about. I, I think that puts more, it could even like on the other, other side of the coin, it could put more onus on the Colts to want to get it done now, because if you start to go into next year and all those guys start getting bigger money and bigger money and bigger money, you're like, well, the, the price tag for running backs, this is what it appears to be right now. And if we want to keep Marlon Mack, maybe we have to pay a little bit more next off season than we would have to pay this, this off season. So I think it is more, if Marlon's betting on himself to stay healthy, which I think is a very reasonable thing to do, it, it, the, the onus is more on the Colts this offseason to get this done with Mac. They, they should want to do it more than he and his agent should want to do it's it. It's much better to reinvest in your own yes. a known commodity yes. in your system than there is to say, you know, we can get something maybe as good, maybe cheaper, maybe, maybe. There's a lot more maybes. Correct. In, in, in any person, I've always thought in free agency in the draft, I would rather get a veteran free agent from outside who has played four or six years. I mean, you don't want a 35-year-old guy to come in. But as, as I'd rather have that, a known commodity, than, than, a, than a draft pick, second, third rounder, that you, you're pretty sure you, you know what you're getting, but you don't know. So th- th- this is and maybe one of these we can really focus on the Colts in the offseason. This is just such a massive off season for these guys on so many levels. You know, again, I, I keep beating the dead horse on the quarterback. You've got to get that done. But then again, Costanzo, there, there's three or four spots. This this is not a, a a roster that is just bereft of talent or where you're at. You're a couple players away in certain spots. But th- this is a monster off season to get this franchise settled and headed back in the right direction. And Joe put a question down here just on our rundown for the day, kind of right after the Marlon Mack segment, is what can the Colts take away from how the 49ers and Chiefs have built their rosters? And I'll add even beyond that, just to um, the teams that have been in the Super Bowl the past couple of years. How do they build their roster? You know, whether it's the Patriots, whether it's the Eagles of a couple of years ago. I-, I think, personally, like you-, you look at who's in charge with the Colts right now. 
Frank Reich. Chris Ballard. Where are they from? Kansas City. Philadelphia is what they kind of were in most recently, at least. And Frank Reich won a Super Bowl there. The Chiefs just won a Super Bowl. Like, you look at those two teams, I think, the Eagles that won the Super Bowl three years ago and the Chiefs that just won the Super Bowl this past year, and you see how those rosters were constructed because they still kind of have fingerprints or familiarity for those two guys of what they are comfortable with. The Eagles a couple years ago, obviously they had what they thought was the quarterback in Carson Wentz, a young guy, which then turned into Nick Foles. So good to have two quarterbacks. And I think that is something Frank Reich definitely wants is two quality quarterbacks. Running backs, there wasn't a big-name guy on, on either of those teams, the Chiefs or the Eagles. Um, the Eagles had, I think, LeGarrette Blunt that year might have been their highest paid, or maybe Jay Ajayi was their highest paid running back. And he was a free came agent in guy. Late. He came in late. They got him as a second round or with a third round or second round pick that year. So they traded for him. Um, they knew they needed a little bit of help there, so they brought him in. Um but then they had a couple other guys, Wendell Smallwood, who ended up making a catch for a touchdown. Um, let's see. They had they had wide receiver. They had Alshon Jeffrey, who was a big name. They had a couple of young other wide receivers uh, catching balls. They had Zach Ertz, of course, a tight end. Love him some tight ends. Uh, Ertz, Kelsey, Kittle. Kelsey tight ends Kittle, are really, yeah. really They're big deal now. with Gronkowski getting them the, the past couple years. It seems that if you find that tight end, that's just a massive advantage. It's like that. That's an interesting point, Joe, and it's something that I hadn't thought about. Like I was thinking more along the lines of kind of offensive lines and some other skill players, but but now that you bring it up, like a lot of teams that have been in the Super Bowl recently have had some of the best tight ends in the NFL. I mean, the Colts have uh, nine point seven yards per catch, Jack Doyle, or seven point nine yards. 9. Excuse me, my my, my bad. <laughs> I was giving him a little bit too much credit there, but but with. With Eric Ebron now leaving, you you are searching for another guy right there, for a front, another pass a front line tight end. Yes, and whether you think you can get that guy in the draft somewhere or you go out in free agency and get him, I, I, who knows? Um, but but that is a position of, of very much interest. Um, another position, the defensive line. Um, the Eagles had Fletcher Cox, who is one of the most underrated defensive tackles in football. The Chiefs, they have Chris uh, Chris Jones, who is, again, one of the more up-and-coming young defensive tackles. He looked football. really good in Colts on that Colts defensive he line, would wouldn't he? Quite good, yes. Blue and white. I, 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 like I would overpay for him. You would. Ooh, I don't know if Chris Ballard would would agree with you, but uh, given, I, bet, I bet Jim Irsay would. Yeah. <laughs> given uh, the the state of what happened with the Colts interior defensive line this past year, I think there are a lot of fans who would agree with you. Try to bring in somebody who appears to be one of the best. Like I said, one of the best young guys in the league in his position uh, just to shore that up for the future if you're going to spend money somewhere this offseason somewhere I think quarterback would be your first choice to shore that up but defensive tackle I think has to be really high on your list because defensive end you have a couple guys who are here that you still have some faith in I don't say if Justin Houston has another good year right you re-up him for another one or two years exactly so if you're looking elsewhere outside of the walls of this building Defensive tackle has to be top three, if not number one, outside of quarterback on the list right now. I thought when I watched watching the Super Bowl, I thought the Colt, I thought the team the Colts more aspired to be were the Niners, with a just a really really great defense front seven, and they would just as soon run the ball until hell froze over, and then have your quarterback make a handful of plays, which in the fourth quarter Garoppolo didn't do. 
But, uh, you know, again, there you go again. Was it Mostert uh, undrafted? Undrafted Mostert. Went through six teams out of Purdue before eventually right. making his way to the so, Niners. And, and, again, that's another example of you can find these guys. And I don't mean to diminish what he did. I would, I would rather have someone starting with with a better pedigree just because. You know, he, he was undrafted for a reason. Now, whatever it was, he can thumb his nose at every team, including the Niners. They didn't draft him either. Yep. So uh, I, I would just – I think to me that's a fallback. And if you get the guy, it's like Terrell Davis. Was he a sixth-round pick or whatever it was? so, yes. Oh, and, and, you know, the old the Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. Yeah. You don't you don't build a franchise or an offense or a defense by hoping you hit on a, on a sixth-round sixth pick, pick and Robert Mathis or whatever. That's not the way to do it. If, if you hit the guy – and the Colts, I, I can name six to ten guys the Colts hit during the Napoleon years, late, but that's just not the way to build a to build a roster. It, it, you mentioned they kind of want to try to build maybe more as the Forty ers There again, you look at the Forty ers defensive line, and it's one of the best in the league because obviously you got Bosa, which Jimmy Garoppolo is like. Well, I guess my torn ACL wasn't so bad because we got Bosa out of the deal, right? And he's not wrong there. You got Bosa. You have uh, Eric Armstead. Um, who else is on that defensive line? DeForest Buckner is the defensive DeForest tackle. Buckner, that's right. He's got like almost twenty sacks over the past two years. No one talks about. Yeah. Him. Uh, they signed D. Ford, D. Ford from Kansas City. From Kansas City, yeah. he didn't pan out, but Solomon Thomas was I Thomas, think a second right. overall yep. pick. So they've invested a lot there. Yep. So if 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 you want to model yourself again after the 49ers, you need to build a little bit more on that defensive line. And if you need to model, if you want to model yourself after the Chiefs, you find uh, the next Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Well, and the Chiefs paid Frank Clark, so they yep. prioritized the defensive line as well. Um, but going back to the quarterback, it has really kind of become the new blue NFL blueprint for success is getting the quarterback on the rookie deal and then investing in all the other pieces, investing in the defensive line. We watched the Rams do it the year before. Eagles kind of a weird situation because Wentz was on the rookie deal, but they were paying Foles a lot for a backup. Right. Um, but if the Colts can find the quarterback, keep him on the rookie deal, and then kind of fill in the gaps with free agency. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck. They, they did that. One. I mean, he, he yep. was the rookie deal. I mean, I realize it was the first overall pick, but it's still still a rookie yeah. deal. Relatively speaking, they had him on the cheap for a long time. It's not the Sam Bradford rookie deal. Oh of, my of goodness! Years ago. <laughs> he was the last one before the NFL. Bradford PA and was Stafford, like, whoa, those whoa, guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jamarcus Russell. I mean, holy uh, smokes! Yeah. I mean, the Ravens are going to be a problem with Lamar on the rookie deal yep. for three more years mm-hmm. with the fifth year option. Yep. So it's uh, it, it's really the new blueprint. But you got, but you got to find the guy. You got to find him. that's course. the hard part. Because if you, if you think you got the guy, and he's not the guy, then you've wasted. You're going to waste three years to find out that you were wrong. And then you got to sign the right guys. We saw Gregson bring in some players who really didn't pan out for the Colts and didn't fill in the gaps like they had hoped. So uh, evaluation is key. Correct. Mike Chappell returned from Miami back to Indianapolis, a conquering hero in the eyes of Colts fans. I bet at 500. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, that gets you into the Hall of Fame. That gets you your own wing in the Hall of Fame if you bat 500 for your career. But Edger and James is a pro football Hall of Famer. 
Joe gives him a clap of appreciation. Re- Reggie Wayne will have to wait. Uh, Mike, uh, for I don't know how much you are comfortable or want to share about just the, the goings-on inside uh, that room, the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, but could you share with us, first we'll start with Edge since he gets in, just what was the discussion like about him? We know he'd been waiting for a while. If this was an, an easier discussion than, than it had been years past to say, okay, get him over the line, or if maybe there was a, a little bit more uh, wring of the hands and twisting of the arms that still had to be done this year before Edge finally could say that he he had got the gold jacket that everyone here in Indy thought he richly deserved. It was it was harder because it's it's the it's the same information. Mm-hmm. You know, I always used to joke with the edge that you know you needed to rush for you know fifteen hundred yards last year to give me something else to work with. <laughs> so the, the whole the the thrust of it this year and. and a lot of stuff that goes on in the room is is supposed to be stay in the room, but right. that, that's, that's more why with, I don't want to. That's ask more with, you're with not comfortable with th- this guy ripping a candidate because right. of whatever else. But you know, I can say whatever I want about what I did. <laughs> it was it was basically as isn't it time? What and, and I kind of closed with what ha- what didn't he do in his eleven years that gives you pause? Uh, I came up with a long list of of stats and. And these weren't contrived stats. This, uh, this wasn't most rushing yards on the third Sunday of each season or, or Thursday night football or whatever. You know, the, the, these were league, back-to-back league rushing championships, and it was uh, so many things, you know, four 1,500-yard seasons. And whenever you get this list of five or six or seven categories, and the only players on the list – are Eric Dickerson and Walter Payton and Barry Sanders and Earl Campbell, first battle Hall of Famers. And then finally, I think people realized this guy was pretty good. <laughs> and the one thing I, I never stressed was that he what he did with the Colts. I mean, he's our all-time rushing leader. Well, every player in the room was their team's something. Yeah. Because that's why they're in the room. It's more of what did you do league-wide and – one thing people need to realize is is there there's a process inside the room, whether you agree with it or not, and I don't particularly, is I've always tried to pick the five best players each year. Right. Well, and the problem with that is all of a sudden we've this year we had four safeties. Was it three offensive linemen, four offensive linemen, three wide receivers, an edger end. And if you take if you go by what I do, then you keep having more and more of the same position, and it just it creates a backlog. And talking briefly about it with Reggie Wayne, his problem was he's a, he was a first year eligible player, and he's in there with Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt, who who've been eligible for a while. Mm-hmm. And there at the receiver spot, it's it's wait your turn. Marvin Marvin Harrison was a third year guy. Marvin Harrison from. <laughs> Syracuse yes. University. Maybe that's why they held it against him. Hey, now. Uh, well, and one of the great one of the great uh, post ceremony quotes we had was uh, the way it works. Again, the players, most players, Edron didn't do this because he's Edron. The Hall of Fame brings in the fifteen finalists and they put them up for the hotel and they put them in all these interviews and luncheons and radio row. And then after we have our meeting, these players and their families are in the room, and David Baker, the president, goes room to room and knocks and says, you're congratulations, in. you're in. Right. Well, he goes to Isaac Bruce's room, and it's knock, 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 nothing. Knock, 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 nothing. And then knock, 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 and then finally Isaac Bruce opens the door. And he said, yeah, I wanted to make him wait because he made me, ah, made, he made me wait. Nice. That's, that's pretty good. That's fantastic. Uh, I like Isaac Bruce more now. Right. And <laughs> with Edrin, he uh, – 
I talked to him the night before, just, you know, they called me just, just to see what was going on. And I said, so will you be somewhere? Because he didn't do the dog and pony show, I call it. He's not up for the pomp and circumstance. He says, I don't politic. Yeah. And, and he doesn't. So I said, well, where will you be? He said, well, I've got a room, you know, somewhere. He's, he's got, I don't know if he still lives in Miami. He's got a, he's got a home in Orlando. But he said, I, they called him around, you get around 4 o'clock, 3, 30, 4 o'clock. He said, I'll probably just be getting up about then. And as it turned out, when David Baker called, he got Edron up. Uh, the three previous times that the Hall of Fame called, Edron let it go to voicemail. <laughs> and they left a voicemail saying, you know, sorry, but you didn't make it. Well, this year they, they did. Uh, but he just, that's just the way he is. And again, going back to the presentation, it, you just, you just w- sort of want to say again, what, what has been missing? Why can't, why, what do you want? And I think people finally saw that he was probably the best skill player in the room. I mean, that includes Bruce and Wayne and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Holt. And the one thing I mentioned too is, Hey, maybe you were waiting for Miami. We're in Miami now. This is his neck mm-hmm. of the woods, and can you imagine him on South Beach uh, that night? So it was a case of finally, if you knock on the door enough, you, you finally break it down. It didn't hurt. It probably helped. It did, it did help that Peyton Manning reached out, mm-hmm. and we sent out a his endorsement letter to all of them. So after giving his presentation, there was good back and forth, but mostly people saying, yeah, this guy needs to be in. There's There's been like... 15 or 20 all-decade running backs first team, which which the Hall of Fame selectors choose. Right. And the only one of the first team running backs not in the Hall of Fame was Edron James. Mm-hmm. And again, you're going to say, what, what, why is this? So it, it just, uh, when this year we, we go from 15, then we cut it to 10. Reggie did not make the cut to 10. Okay. Uh, which I sort, I sort of anticipated, and I think he did too. And then we didn't know, we didn't know who the final five were because normally we do this year. We didn't, we knew the final 10. Right. So after the meeting, we get the, the list of the final 10 then we vote the, the five. And certainly I voted for Edron to get uh, the, the one of the five. Then we go from the Lowe's hotel at Miami beach to some artsy place where they had the NFL honors. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you the name because I'm not an artsy guy. Mm-hmm. It was about a 20, 25 minute bus ride. And there's eight or 10 of us on there. And we all had players that we presented. So we were going to go, in case the guy was at the awards and we get about halfway there. And a guy whose player had made the top final 10 says, uh, Mr. Bus driver, can you stop the bus? He wanted to get off because he texted his guy and the guy didn't get in. Uh, so he no longer wanted to go to the, to the event. And I text Edron and he said, yeah, I got in. Nice. So he said, yeah, he said, they got me up. I'm in. <laughs> so and, and again, it, uh, we weren't doing that to to, to to for breaking news because we were gonna you know we honor the right right and we honored it until Edron used his Instagram account to say from gold teeth to gold jacket. So I well, loved it. Once the player, once the player, you know, and and we had things ready to go at the station, so of we course. were we we were quick on that. But uh, it was good to see, and he handled it very very well that night. Uh, I talked to him at length, uh, Chris Hagen. Talked to him at length, and it was he's very appreciative. And all of a sudden, his frustration and semi-anger over not getting in mm-hmm. went away. Because once you're in, you're in. They, they don't go back and, you know, your bus doesn't say elected on his 18th year. Right. You're a Hall of Famer, and he's going to enjoy it. 
Uh, it's I think the induction ceremony I think is August eighth in in Canton. It's like the sixth, seventh, and eighth. The games on the sixth, mm-hmm. and there's a gold jacket on the seventh, and then the the, the enshrinement's on the eighth. It'll be epic. All of the thinking back to when Marvin Harrison and, and Tony Dungy went in in 2016, there will be Colts galore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Peyton and all and all the guys. Marvin will be there with his gold jacket, and Tony will be there. So it, it'll be nice. And moving forward, we'll see if there's a few more Colts to get in. I just hope they have a game this year, unlike that time when was the, that uh, awful? the Colts were there. Yes, that, that was, that was just terrible. Colts in Green Bay in a game that was never played. Before we get into future Colts uh, perspective, future potential Colts in the Hall of Fame, let's listen to that interview that our Chris Hagan did with Edger and James after Edge found out that he was in the Hall of Fame. Twenty years ago, this young man was completing his rookie year with the Colts, and now. Headed to the Hall of Fame. Can you believe how much water has gone under the bridge since then and now? <laughs> hey, it's been a long 20 years, but I'm home. I'm finally home at home. You know, that's the beauty of it. You know, you get a chance to make it into the hall while we're in Miami. And, you know, it's, it's been a process, but it worked out the way it's supposed to work out. We met you in your rookie year. We knew you were special talent then. You you never were braggadocious, but you knew you had something special. At what point in your career, if ever, did you start thinking this was an opportunity, or were you just playing the next play each and every season? Well, it was always the goal. You know, you have to have goals that are so far out that give you something to reach for. You know, I've always had the Hall of Fame on my list or one of the things that I wanted to accomplish. So it makes you work harder. It makes you sit up there and study the greats and try to make sure that you're doing what it takes to actually get there. And so I've always been driven to actually get ready to put on a gold jacket. People know about the highlight reel plays. They know about all the things you did, the numbers. I don't think a lot of people remember the injury you had to come back from. What kind of challenge was that to kind of interrupt you right when you're in your prime? Well, it's, it's one of those things. It's actually one of those things that make you dig deep, you know, and once you get hurt, you know, financially you're already set. You know, you had some good years, so... Everybody can say, you know what, he would have been good if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. So for me, I was driven to say, look, I'm still good, and I'm going to do what it takes to show that I'm good. And that's what I did. I worked hard. I had to alter my game and do the things that could work in my favor because I wasn't that same young edge that could do um, certain things. You know, I had to – it was like it was a process. And during that process, you learn a lot about yourself, and it – it actually make you become more of a student of the game. You know, you start understanding why would Peyton check out of this? Why would he make this call? And so our conversation started getting a little bit deeper then. And those are the times where the relationship started getting better and better because we already had a good relationship. But now, if I'm sitting in the backfield, I'm not just this young 20, 21-year-old that you just hand me the ball and I run. You know, now I'm a guy that, you know, hey, I need to – kind of get an edge on the defense, you know, and so that's one of the things that it made me do. It made me look deeper into the game. I think Peyton also appreciated how you picked up those guys' blitzes as well. That was a big part of your game, the the blocking part. A lot of folks don't understand and appreciate a running back's role in that regard either, do they? Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, is it, the blocking is something that you don't get credit for. It's kind of like an old lineman, but at the same time, when you when you go through it, you're like, man, maybe I shouldn't have shown them that I can block so good, you know, it's like... <laughs> Because, you know, like when you block as well as I did, because we took pride in blocking. When you block really well, you're going to give that assignment to you mm. versus somebody else that 
that's probably not capable or not as good at it, you know. So and, and that's what started happening a lot. But being a team player, being a football player, like it wasn't that big a deal, you know. But then when you start going through the process, you start looking at everything. You're like, hold up, man! You don't even get credit for what you've done. You don't get <laughs> they don't pay that no attention. And you're like, man, how you, you do you know how many passes we've thrown? You know how many times? You know you had to pick up those blitzes and be part of that. But you know. Now I tell my son we're not going to focus so much on blocking. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to you over the years, and it was a long wait, it may, probably longer than you should have had to wait to get in. What was it like the past couple of days when you, when you finally get that word and you finally have that weight off your shoulders? As you said, you, it'll come to you. You can't go chasing it. The work was already done, but to finally get that official word, what was the instant reaction you had? Oh, man, it was, the reaction was it's, it's like a breath of fresh air. You're like, finally. You know, you really, you, you really don't know, and like I've, I've – talked to chap for years and I was man you really don't understand the process but you say you know it's nothing that you can do about it you know it got to a point to where if a reporter would call me or whatever if it wasn't chap or something <laughs> I mean just use what you use just use what I said last year but <laughs> nothing you know for me nothing changed for me because you start saying that you know what my numbers aren't going to go up you know and I'm not about to go out in politics you know because that that diminishes who I am and the way I've came in this game and the way I've done everything. I try to do things the right way, but I've always tried to be myself, you know, so I wasn't going to get out here and, and go say, hey, I should this or you should do that, you know. When the time is right, it'll happen, you know, and it happened at the right time. It happened right here in South Florida, so that made it even better. And last thing for you, did you realize at the moment when you're playing, you guys are stacking all those wins, do you realize, like, hey, I got a Hall of Fame head coach and I got a Hall of Fame this and you're in more of you to come. Did you realize how special that group was for the Colts? Yeah, you you knew you knew it when you started working and you started putting everything together, and then when you remove yourself from the situation, you know, when you remove yourself from the situation, you're like, hold up, man, I was playing with Peyton, now I'm playing with, <laughs> and it was good, I got a chance to play with Kurt Kurt Warner, you know, but then you when you start seeing different things, you start seeing the way people practice and the way organizations go, you know, you don't if like. Like, you wouldn't know about another organization until you go to another organization. You start realizing, like, man, you know what? The Indianapolis Colts, hey, that's top-notch, and it's one of the best organizations. And I'm like, it's the best organization for me, and nothing against the other organization, but it was just, it was different. You know, you start seeing the guys and the approach that was taken, you know. And, like, when I went to Arizona, you know, we turned that program around. You know, we did a lot of work. But it, when you first get there, you're like, Hold up! You mean y'all don't have to check in before the <laughs> night before the game? You're like, you mean we can eat whatever we want? And, and the coach down to the T, and and so you start. That's when you get a greater appreciation for Reggie, Mar, P, Saturday, Clark, um, um, Tarek, like all the guys because you start understanding like, man, we really worked. You know, like we really put in some work, and you don't realize that until you get around other people, and then you start showing the other people right. how to do it because everybody can talk about it but to actually sit up there and be a part of it you know it's it's a whole nother ball game whole nother ball game too for edge only one edger and james and now he's a hall of famer let's throw it back to the studio so that is our chris hagan with the newly selected edger and james to the hall of fame uh, mike you mentioned uh, future perspective potential colts uh, obviously, I think Peyton Manning is going to be in next year's class in his first year of eligibility, but that still leaves Reggie Wayne there. And like you said, he was not included in the top 10 this year. You still got a guy like Tory Holt who has been there longer if other voters want to 
stay with that wait your turn philosophy. So maybe he's not next in line if that continues. But uh, nevertheless, what what did you think about your presentation of Reggie to the Hall of Fame class? Obviously, it wasn't enough to get him into the top ten for whatever reasons this year. But how how warmly or coolly was that reception for for Reg in his first year of eligibility? I'd say warmly. Uh, again, people didn't realize they thought he was just sort of one B mm-hmm. to Marvin's one A. And people need to realize that when, when 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 Marvin no longer was number one, and it was Reggie. That's when Reggie took off. His numbers, I think, starting in 07s when Reggie was the number one guy. He had like a hundred receptions in four of the next five years, and a thousand yards in five of the next six, whatever it was. So he really took off. Uh, there still was that stigma that he he did much of what he did because of Marvin, similar to what Robert Mathis. And Dwight Freeney. Well, Robert got his because of Freeney. Well, no, Robert was a pretty damn good player. Uh, so, I, 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 But again, the problem that, that Reggie had and will have is wait your turn. And, and players, it's got to just be like fingernails on a chalkboard to a player. You know, you wait your turn. I'm tired of waiting. John Lynch has been a finalist like seven years. Yeah. And he's still waiting. He, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, just from being in the room, some some guys are better speakers than others. I'm sort of in the middle. A guy named Ira Coffin for the Tam- down in Tampa is a great, great presenter, mm-hmm. and he can't get him in, and it's incredible. But uh, I, I just think moving forward, so much of it has to do when you're up, who else is in the room? And one thing people need to keep in mind: you only get five. Yeah. You only. You, you know, we've talked. People say, "Well, I, we need to get uh, this. This guy should have made it." Well, who'd you want to leave off? Well, I don't want to leave somebody off. Mm-hmm. No, no, you get five. So next year. First ballot guys, Peyton Manning. Yep, he's in. Charles Woodson. He's likely in. Calvin Johnson. That's up for debate. That, that'll be that'll be up for debate. You know, Jared Mayo. Eh. No. Justin Tuck. Eh. No. Jared Allen. Marshawn Lynch. He was will, good. Marshawn Lynch will be a popular one, but that's one where I just I will. You're gonna have to really. No. You're gonna have to talk me long into the night on Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. But so and with Colts so again. So next year you're gonna have Peyton. Reggie, hopefully, he's back in the final fifteen. Because once, once you're in the room, so to speak, ninety percent of those guys eventually get in. Right. Uh, but then in the, that next year, in in twenty twenty two, I believe, Robert Mathis will be a first time guy. Twenty twenty three, it's Dwight Freeney, mm-hmm. and they could, you know, how will they help or hurt each other's candidacy? Because there's again, the perception is. One guy helped the other guy to get what he got. And you can argue that – I would argue that each one stands on his own. They, they've I think Freeney's got 125 sacks and Mathis 123. They're like 18th and 19th all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Green, I think he's third all time with 160 sacks. It took him seven or eight years Yep, because – he he was viewed as this one trick pony. Well, that was a pretty good trick. Yeah, you know, 160 sacks. I think the only guys that had more were Bruce Smith and Reggie White. So, but I think what this shows is how special the decade of the 2000s was for the Colts, and and hopefully this reinforces everyone's view that this wasn't natural. This, these were, and we're not even talking Jeff Saturday, Tariq Glenn. You know, Ken Dilger, Marcus Pollard, quality, quality players, but they had 
what could be a half a dozen elite people at their position, including, you know, we had Marvin go in, uh, Tony Dungy, Bill Polian, further back, and, and, and it's not quite the same. It was not the same with Eric Dickerson and, and Marshall Falk. But the Colts are starting to get a pretty good footprint in Canton, and it's only going to continue. And just, I, I think I would continue to stress patience for some of these guys because first ballot Hall of Famers are rare. You should, for to me, you've got to check every freaking box. I, <laughs> I was talking with someone about. Uh, I was even mildly surprised that Troy Polamalu got in on his first. Not not completely surprised, but. But based on everyone who was in that room, and you mentioned John Lynch there as well, Leroy Butler, who was an all-decade team in the 90s at safety, too. So and Steve Atwater got in. So you had two safeties right. out of those four that I think are all deserving. But but no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that, that, that was broke, my you take. Broke, you broke my train of thought. I don't, I don't know where I was going now. Dang it. But again, it, it's, it's, it's who, who's, uh, who's up, who's in. And I just think moving forward, we're going to see more and more Colt-related personalities in there, and I think that's a good thing. You were saying you have to check all the boxes to be a first-time yeah, first guy. I know guy. I could do that. I've always thought, and that was my thing with Reggie. Not that, not that I was stressing first ballot. I wasn't. But when I look at a Hall of Famer, longevity, productivity, are you, did, you, were you, did you play at a high level, regular season, postseason? And Reggie was off the charts. We talked last week that there's the, the two players in, that ranked top 10 in regular season and postseason yards and receptions, two players, it's Jerry Rice and Reggie Wayne. That's it. It's not too bad. That's it. Good company. So, so, and again, people think that Reggie was a really good player. No, he, he was a very good, you know, elite player. So the, the problem we run into now, and we're going to run into, Tony Baselli. Uh, uh, once again, I, don't, I can't remember what year this is for him, but he Six was— Six years in the league, five first-team All-Pros. They say seven years because they want to get that okay. one year that he played like six games. Right, but I don't know what my what my cutoff line is on how long you need to play. Mm-hmm. To me, six isn't enough. Although I'm telling you, I voted I voted for Baselli to get from fifteen to ten because the guy mentioned held up this list. He said, "If you're a GM and you're starting your team, which of these players would you take?" And you would take the tackle over the guards because he's a tackle. But he played six years, and during those six years, he might have been the best tackle in the league. Yep, is six enough? Uh, Calvin Johnson next year, eight or nine years, is that enough? Uh, when you have guys in there that have played fourteen and thirteen, and Torrey Holt was eleven. Uh, the big thing with Terrell Davis a few a few years ago was he played basically four years. Yeah, four. Uh, now he was he he really got in because of his his postseason success, what happens if, if in today's environment, if Gail Sayers is on the ballot, he played like 65 games, 65 games, Yeah, but he was unbelievable. So it, it's just one of the guys that, that jumps out at me and just, I'll share this with Terrell Owens. Was it three years ago? He was four years ago. He was the first, first time guy and people thought he was a no doubt guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't vote for him first ballot. Mm-hmm. Because he had some on-field issues. Now, off-field, it's not supposed to matter. Mm-hmm. If a guy's a you know an idiot or jerk, it's not supposed to matter. Right. But th- this, th- these were on-field where he was disciplined two or three times by his own team. He was traded two or three times by his own team when he's the best player. 
So I, I thought that was one box he did not check that I. So I didn't. Now second and third year I did. Right. You know, it's sort of like okay. You're just an old codger, Mike. Right. And, and, and doggone it, you, there were things that you didn't <laughs> you didn't do that I thought. So and and there was there was never in my mind more debate than over Terrell Owens. Mm -hmm. Even first time, you know, one of the guys stood up and said, "This guy's a cancer. I, I wouldn't want him on any of my rosters." Yeah. So, but but that that's what goes into it, and you you make the best presentation you can, and to some level you just sort of cross your fingers. And I, Chris Hagen asked me about this. He said, "Well, what's your feelings?" I said, "I'm, I'm relieved hmm. because I don't know how I would have come back next year and, and done it different." And I said, "Edward, the same thing." He said, "Yeah, relieved." He said, "Because again, I thought I did all I needed to do. Mm -hmm. I know I did, and." Fortunately, that's out of the way now, and I'm looking forward to his speech in August because hopefully knowing Edgerin, he won't be totally unplugged and yeah. cause a lot of, of, of bleeps. I don't think he will, but I'm just glad that Edgerin got in and the rest of the people enough of them 80 percent saw that this guy was certainly a cut above the rest and and, and I'll close with this just from I, I mean I haven't had personal conversations with Reggie Wayne since since the announcement, but he seemed genuinely thrilled for edge to get in himself and that was his overwhelming emotion at least that he expressed on social media just saying that he was so happy to see him there e even though i'm sure it was m mildly disappointed even not more than mildly but his, his happiness for his teammates seemed to be the the prevailing emotion when, when i presented reggie his numbers are just they're right there with yeah. holton bruce they really are yeah it's what flavor do you like in, in but again reggie knows Re reggie sort of knew in the back of his mind that there was a waiting period, and hopefully it won't be too too long of a wait. The problem is, like we talked, next year, with five spots that you get, Peyton's one, Charles Woodson's two, Calvin Johnson, we'll see about that. I, I think I could argue strong that he needs to wait his turn. But that's that's two spots right there, right. and that, mean, that means you got three, and that includes, again, Reggie and other guys, John Lynch. Mm -hmm. Guys that didn't get in, Alan Fanica, guys that didn't get in this year are going to be pushed into next year. Well, with Reggie, you think that he just sits, kicks back, and grabs an adult beverage and, and a cigar and waits for next year. Yes. That seems to be seems to be Reggie Wayne. That is the Colts Blue Zone podcast for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Please download, subscribe, get this delivered to your podcast listening device whenever it drops. For Joe Hopkins at Rota Street Joe and Mike Chappell at mchapel 51 I'm Dave Griffiths at Dave G underscore sports. Thanks for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next week.